Thank you for tuning into the Freedom Church podcast, where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this week's sermon. Good morning, Freedom Church. How are you doing this morning? Hope all is going well. Hope you're having a great 4th of July weekend. And I'm y'all thankful for the United States of America. I'm so thankful. Thankful for our country. You know, uh, I've traveled around the world and been to many, many countries. And I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful for the freedoms and the liberties that we have. And what a chance to celebrate what God is doing. And thank God for that. Uh, man, a couple of announcements. Right now, uh, our students are on their way back. We took 55 to youth camp with leaders. It's an amazing time. Let me give you... Students, are, we got reports of people being baptized, and God's doing some amazing things. My nephew actually got baptized in camp last night, so I was excited about that. Kids have been... Man, I found faith in Jesus, been filled with the Spirit, and we're excited to hear all the stories that God is doing. And just... I want to thank you. Thank you for your support to Freedom Church. Thank you for your support to the mission that's going in here. Because of your support, this week we're going to be able to support a group of missionaries and their spouses. How many of you guys know the last two years have been really tough for missionaries? They've gone through some difficulties. They need some soul care. So we're able to support a trip for them to go out into the Rockies and to maybe have a meal together and hang out together to get refreshed and rejuvenated. And because if it's your faithfulness, because if you're giving, you say, Pastor B, I haven't done that. Let me tell you, when you give to Freedom Church, we are able to give to others. 10% of everything that comes in goes to missions. But the time you just write a check to this church, we are supporting and what's incredible, I've told you, in the last month and a half, we have literally given above what we support $30,000 to missions and organizations. Isn't that awesome? I'm excited about that. Man, God is moving. And uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's because of your faithfulness that's going on. Uh, one last thing I want, I want to talk about. I know a couple last week we had a, a kind of a historic thing happened with Roe versus Wade and thank Thank God for the sanctity of life, and we're able to support uh, families. And just, man, we believe in the Imago Day of God here. We believe that God knew us in our inmost being. But here's the reality. This gives a great opportunity for the church, for caring for some people that are in very difficult situations, for fostering. So we're getting ready to launch a foster care ministry here that's going to happen. We've, uh, people are going to foster. I'm praying that God speaks to many of us to foster and care and love and step up with the needs that are coming. It's no greater time to share the love of Jesus, right? So this is what I want us to do. I want us to pray. I want you to be involved. We have a thing called Backyard Orphans. You'll be hearing about it in the next couple months and the next months to come as we launch that and we get a chance to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. Because, man, you know, it's not just about us singing songs and hearing sermons, but it's about loving those who need Jesus. I'm so thankful that we are going to be a church that loves people all the way through that. This morning, I want to start, and uh, I want you to look at your neighbor and tell them. It looks like you've been working out. Look at your neighbor and tell them. Some, some of you guys are like, uh, uh, I can't do that, Pastor B. I can't lie in church. Okay, I get it. I get it. Maybe. This morning, we're continuing our series in the book of Philippians, and, and Paul is going to tell us how to have a spiritual workout, how to, how to have a great spiritual workout. But not all workouts are productive. I found this clip of people who thought they were getting a workout at the gym, but they were just amusing themselves. Watch this. Check this out.
We're going to have some tacos on that last one, right? How many of you guys have ever worked out with maybe that person they go to your gym, right? Uh, you are that person. We still love you. Anyways. Jimmy Fallon did this thing at the Tonight Show where he asked people to hashtag the phrase fitness fell with some of the most epic failures in fitness that they've had in their fitness journey. This is what some people sent in. At Nikki Numerous said this, I bought the TRX suspension training system from the TRX website. It was the only time my credit card company has ever contacted me with potential fraud alert. Hey. You're usually buying tacos. Uh, this can't be right. It's not you, right? Uh, how about this next person? At Janine Redden said this, I couldn't afford a personal trainer. So I followed a lady and her trainer around the circuit. She asked me, are you copying me? And I answered, are you copying me? I love that. <laughs> Makes me want to do that, right? <laughs> How about this one? At Paskew underscore Amy says this. My husband once tried to follow the body for life diet. Day one, I saw him eating cookies and I commented it wasn't his cheat day. He explained he decided to break his cheat day into small chunks of time. I love that. Cheat day, a little an hour here, an hour there. I love that idea of cheat day. When it comes to working out, have you noticed how confusing it can get? If you've ever been to the gym, you're like, oh, how does this machine work? Or if you're starting to work out, like you'll have one trainer or one article tell you to do this and another article, another trainer tell you to do that. And you're wondering like, who's right? What am I really, how do I really work out? And this morning, as we continue our series in the book of Philippians, we're going to look at chapter 2, verse 12 through 16. And Paul is going to give us what we think are two different sets of directions for a spiritual workout. Let's read what he says this morning. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling and disputing, so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among you as you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. So in verse 12, Paul says we are to work out our salvation. Then in verse 13, it's God who works in you. Like, which one is it? It reminds me of some of these signs. We need to think, can we get the signs real quick that we kind of sit up there? Elevator is out of service. Please use elevator. Like, uh, which one is it? Or have you seen this one? Stop, but no stopping at the alley at any time. So many times we feel like we get conflicting instructions. And sometimes you come to the Bible and there can be a passage that can be kind of confusing. And this is one of them. So to understand what Paul is saying, we must look at these verses in context. And one of the rules of Bible interpretation is this, that Scripture interprets Scripture. And when you get to what seems like a confusing text, you got to read what was said before and what is said afterwards. And that's the benefit of preaching through an entire book and not just cherry picking some verses, but actually going through a book and taking a journey through the book. You see these verses, you see the text in the context of what was, it was written. And what seems confusing becomes clear when you read it in its context. So let's read it in its context. Paul gives these instructions, but before he gives these instructions, I want you to see he uses the word what? Therefore. And every time you see therefore, 
you got to ask a question, why is it therefore? And the, and the reason therefore is there because it's always drawing attention to what was said before. Because therefore, in the midst of everything I've just explained to you, now this is how you act. And remember last week, we studied verses 1 through 11, and Paul was addressing our selfie mode tendencies. He says that the cure for our selfishness and pride is pointing us to the gospel and pointing us to what Jesus did for us. And he brings us to this glorious hymn from the early church in verses 5 through 11, which is one of the most beautiful, awe-inspiring pictures of Christ and his exaltation, incarnation, and who he is and his deity in the gospel and all of scripture. And just a reminder... Paul is writing this letter to people who already know the gospel, to Christians. And he is assuming they're already saved. And he's saying to them that your life needs to be a reflection of this gospel that you've received. This is typical Paul in Pauline style and philosophy in his writings. Before Paul tells us what to do, if you read his writings, he tells us what Christ has done for us. And he has a staring at the gospel. He has us staring at Jesus. And he says, look at what he's done. Look at his humility. Look at how he acted. Look at how he lived. In the midst of that, therefore, this is how you should live. It's like Charles Spurgeon, one of the early, uh, one of the great uh, church fathers, probably the prince of preachers. He says, at the end of every message, he says, I plow a trough back to the gospel. I always thought that that meant that after every message, he preached a hard left turn and preached about repentance and change. No. What he said is the power of every message comes to the who Jesus did and what he done from the cross. That is the source of how we live the Christian life. And that's what Paul is saying. He says the gospel should be worked out in our lives day after day after day after day after day. He says, look at this example. Look at what Christ has done. Now put that into application every day of your life. And his instructions in the Greek here are present tense. It's like we are to keep working out or we are being saved. Look what he writes. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. Notice the reason for your work. It's because God is working in you. God's work is the cause of your working. And here's the truth of this passage. I am to work out what God has already worked in me. Notice Paul doesn't say work for. Big difference. You can't earn your salvation. Salvation was earned for you by Jesus and the cross and what he did. I mean, people think that they can earn their salvation. You can never do that. The prophet Isaiah says this, that our best works are like filthy rags before the Lord. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 8, it's for, it is for by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God so no one could boast. If you could work your way into heaven, imagine all the bragging it would be on heaven. It'd be like you'd be on social Instagram. You'd be on Instagram and Facebook. Everybody's bragging about all the things that you're doing. It'd be hell on earth, right? But when you get to heaven, there's only one place to boast in. It's Jesus. So when Paul says we are to work, he means we're to work what God's already done in us. So let me try to uh, break this down to you. When you go to the gym, I can tell many of you do that every day. Just man, if you go to the gym, just flex right now. Who's the most ripped dude in here right now? You look at them. There's man. Yeah, well, Philip. Yeah, he's at the gym all the time. But uh, when you go to the gym, you're not creating muscle, are you? No. You're strengthening the muscle that God already gave you. 
you work out, you lift weights, you do curls, you do bench presses and leg presses. The same is true spiritually. God has already put spiritual muscle in you. It's your job to develop it. And this morning, we're going to see this tension between God's sovereignty and our responsibility. We're going to see the work that we play and the work that God plays in our salvation. Because this is what Paul wrote in in, uh, chapter 1. It is God who began the work of salvation, that he is faithful to complete into the day of Christ Jesus. But we have a place to play in what God does in our lives. Here's what I want you to understand, that salvation is a moment and salvation is a process. At the same time, theologians say that salvation can be broken down to three steps. The first step is God saves you from the penalty of sin. This is called justification. The second step is God gives you power over sin. This is called sanctification, and we're all walking in this sanctification process. And the third step is this. One day God will save you from the very presence of sin. This is exaltation. This happens when we're resurrected in bodily form. And that is the work of our salvation that Christ is going to do. But it's God who is at work in every facet of our salvation. God does the work in you. And God begins the process of your salvation with justification. Colossians 2.13, Paul writes this, When you were dead in your sins, then God made you alive with Christ, and he forgave all your sins. Christ alone forgives your sins and allows you to stand before God, just as if you've never sinned before. This is justification. This is the first step in your salvation. You're justified, and you've come to faith in Jesus. But the second step is what Paul talks about this in your salvation. It's called sanctification. In sanctification, the word sanctify to me means to be made holy. To be holy is to be like God. And this is a process where God takes you on a journey to be more and more like Jesus. And this is what Paul is talking about in verse 13. For it is God who works in you. And I want you to, what is, how does he work? Notice how he works. Both to underline the word will and to work for his good pleasure. If you're here, for the first time, we on the all-access pass, we have sermon notes. You can go down there and you get the sermon notes because this is probably one of those messages that will help you understand how your salvation works and you want to be able to get, take some notes on the sermon notes. There's fill in the blanks all the way through. You can look at that. And as he said, it is God who works in you. Prepositions are important here. It's not God working with you. It's not God working near you. Notice, it's God working in you. The same spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives in you. So here's a deep question. Where is Jesus Christ when you pray? Sometimes we don't think about that, right? Yeah, he's transcended in the heavens. He's above. He's alongside of us, but he's also in us. He's imminent inside of us. Like when you pray, Jesus inside of us. I I read this beautiful quote by St. Thomas and Compass, and he says this, that he's talking about his relationship with Christ. He says, his visits with the inner man, speaking of Christ, are frequent, and his consolation is great. Paul, when he prayed for the church of Ephesus, this is what he prayed in Ephesians 3.16, to be strengthened with power through their spirit in your inner being. He says, I pray that they would be strengthened in their inner being, in their inner desires, in what's going on inside of them. See, God works in your inward desires. God's work in us. He moves in us before he works through us. 
This is what Paul is saying. This is what makes Christianity so unique and so different. Christianity teaches us God is actively living and working, not alongside of us, not above us, in us to do his will and to do his work for his good pleasure. He lives in us and he changes us from the inside out. You cannot be a Christian in willpower and self-discipline. You can't white-knuckle your way through Christianity. In the Old Covenant, God says, do what I say no matter what you want. But it didn't work. Willpower couldn't make it. In the New Covenant, it says, I'm going to give you brand new wants and brand new desires. In Jeremiah 33, he said this, there's going to come a day when I'm going to write my law, my law on their hearts and on their minds. So the reality is this. God's changing you from the inside. It's a desire work. I remember when I put, first put my faith in Jesus, it changed everything inside of me. Things that once were important weren't as important anymore. My desires changed. I told you this before. My friends would tell me when I first became a Christian, Benito, now that you're a Christian, you can't get drunk, you can't party, you can't sleep around. I would tell them, it's not that I can't. I can do everything I want to do. It says, I don't want to do those things anymore. God has given me new desires. When you become a, you don't become a Christian by doing the right things. You know you're a Christian when you start desiring the right things. Inward desires change in you. And the problem with most churches that we grew up in, they taught behavior modification and moralism and religion. Many of you grew up in churches like that. You taught you need to dress a certain way. You can't cuss. You can't go to rated R movies. You can't get drunk. I like to call those doo-doo churches because they make everybody smell like doo-doo, right? Religion and moralism reminds me of that 80s movie, Weekend at Bernie's. Remember Weekend at Bernie's? They dress up this dead guy and they take him all the way around. That's what religion does. They try to make a dead guy come alive. Like, like what happens if, think, if I had a pig right here, and I rubbed it down with oil of lay, and I got bath and body works and, and scents, and did all those little crystal things on it, and I put lipstick and lashes, and I put a nice little dress on the pig, what would it be? A pig. The moment I let it go, and God just doesn't change the outside. He changes the very nature. He gets rid of the pig nature, and he gives us a nature to follow him. The gospel changes you at the level of your desires. That's what Paul is saying here. And here's the first thing that Paul teaches. If we're going to get a workout, we need to work out our new godly desires. When you place your faith in Jesus, he's going to put new desires in you. And this is the desire. He's going to work in you to, for his will and to his work for his good pleasure. The Greek word for work is the word enagron. It means energy. That's where the word energy comes from. It means God energizes you while you work. That while you work for him, his divine nature is at work. This is the thought. Have you ever been in the airport and all of a sudden you're kind of late to a flight and you got to, especially if you're in DFW, because really there's hard to get direct flights out of Austin, right? You got to go to DFW, massive airport. And you got to, oh, my terminal's here. And you got to go all the way there to catch that flight. So what do you do? Instead of running, there's these things called these elevator walkers. You see those escalator walkers. And what you're doing is you're running on those escalator walkers, and you're moving faster than you can move your own. You're walking, but there is a power underneath you working and moving you where you cannot do by yourself. That's what the Holy Spirit does in you. Yes, we begin to work, but there is a greater power taking us in the direction where we want to go, and that's the Spirit of the Lord working in us. See, God will give you a new desire for, to do his will for his good pleasure. How many of you this morning have a desire for a deeper walk with the Lord? Raise your hand. 
See, how many had this thought? I, I, I want to have a deeper prayer life. I want to know the Bible more. I want to get more involved in church. I want to give more. I want to use my gifts. I want to help others. God planted those desires in your life. God put those longings in you. Before I was saved, I had no desire to read the Bible. I had never had a desire to pray. I had no desire to ever be a preacher. I, I didn't have a desire to be nice to people. Then God put a desire in my heart to study the Bible. Then he put a desire in my heart to pray. I remember when I first came to Jesus as a teenage boy, I would get up an hour early and I would pray and I would read my Bible. And he gave me a desire to love people. And I desired to learn the Bible begin to grow and grow. And I started reading writings from Christian thinkers like C.S. Lewis and Josh McDowell and Spurgeon and Jonathan Edwards. I started reading commentaries on the Bible as a young teenage boy. I was working out the desires that God worked in me. That's how you grow in your faith. See, a desire without discipline will die. But a desire with discipline will develop. And what we need to do is we need to develop the desires, the godly desires God's given us. Theologian and great thinker Dallas Willard says this, God is not opposed to our effort. God is opposed to our earnings. The attitude of our works make all the difference. See, we're not earning our salvation, but we're giving effort. God gives you the will, the want to, so you'll enjoy it when you do it. God works in you his desires, then he'll work through you his plan and his purposes for your life. Paul knew it was God working in him his life. What caused him to work for the gospel? That's why he wrote this in 1 Corinthians 15. I worked harder than all the other apostles. I worked. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. And you're going to see this tension throughout Paul's writings. That God is working in him 100%, but he is giving 100%. This is not legalism. This is the gospel. This is God providing us the strength to work for the Lord. To follow him. To develop who God wants us to be. Providing this power. This is what it means to live in a Christian life. But here's the reality. Many Christians have what I call the lazy river mentality when it comes to faith. Because they've been taught wrong. They just float around, take no responsibility. So if it's the Holy Spirit, he's going to lead him, he's going to guide him, he's going to make it all work out. And we just circle round and round and round, and our lives go nowhere. But Paul says this, God's working in you, and you've got to work it out. He's put desires, he's put things inside your life. So Freedom Church, let me tell you, what is he working in you? What ministry desire? What desire to know him? What things is he burning in you? If you don't work them out, they won't develop. The second thing is this. You must work out with a thankful attitude. This is what he says in verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. See, have you noticed that the right setting in music has a tone that can set the tone for your entire workout? For years and years, I worked out at this place. And if you work out there, man, I did it for many years. This place called Planet Fitness. How many of you guys ever heard of Planet Fitness? Like $9.99. I loved it. It was awesome. But here's the thing about Planet Fitness. They have the first week they give you pizza after a workout. They got bagel day like on the 15th. Like, man, you're trying to work out, and all the music is like pop music going on. Justin Bieber's playing, Taylor Swift is playing, Katy Perry's Eye of the Tiger just doesn't cut it, is playing. And, man, it just doesn't have the right environment inside of you. 
See, nothing motivates me to work out like Rocky music. Once I dum da dum da dum da dum dum da you know, just I just want to work. I want to eat raw eggs. I want to do one-handed push-ups. Like, and then when the real eye of the tiger comes out, the man, eye of the tiger, dun, 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 dun. I'm like, yeah, Brim, stack the weights. I'm ready. Like, it just sets the atmosphere. And in the same way, this is what Paul is saying. There is an atmosphere and a culture that happens in your spiritual growth. Paul says, don't listen to the inner grumblings of your heart that cause dispute. And almost every scholar believes when Paul uses the word grumble, he's drawing attention to the children of Israel and their attitude in the Exodus. They had, God had delivered them out of Egypt. They were on their way to promised land. But what happened is what was supposed to be a six-week journey turned into a 40-year debacle. Why? Because they grumble, 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 and complain. See, your grumbling will cause not only relationship struggles with Jesus, but disputes with others. There are two types of people in the world. They're complainers and they're worshipers. Complainers will always find something to complain about. If you married one, pray for them. And worshipers will always find something to worship God and thank God about. And one of the most head-scratching things in my life is I can see two people go through the same circumstance, the same situation, the same difficulty. One gets trapped in a prison of bitterness and struggle, and the other one uses it to catapult them to a new level with the Lord because one complained and grumbled, and the other began to realize that God is worthy and glorious, that Paul says, you know what, and this is something that he talks about over and over again in chapter 1, we talk about in chapter 4, that thanksgiving is the key to your spiritual growth. It's the music that you got to put in your hand there is something that happens when you just raise your hands and say thank you Jesus the Bible says this that it's man we enter his courts with thanksgiving we enter his courts with praise that praise has a way to take us into the presence of God and what grumbling does is this stops it and some of you are having a hard time in your walk with the Lord because you grumble 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 and what happens is you just stay circling the same problems and the same struggles year after year after year. And God is saying, thank me through that. That's, that's what, interesting that he said this as we're working out our faith. So we're to work out our godly desires. We're to work out with the rightful attitude and we're to work out with the word of God. Watch what he says this, verse 16. Holding fast to the word of life. Another translation says, Hold tightly to the word of life. I, I like that translation a little bit better. To hold tight means you got to get a grip on it. If you got a grip on it, it, that means it's not easily pulled away. Like you try to eat dinner with me, I got a grip on that burrito all the time. You can't get away. Let me tell you, the world and its trials and temptations is trying to pull the things of God out of us all the time. And he says, when it comes to this, we got to keep the word of God in us. Many, come, many people come to church. I see it all the time. They get really convicted. They get really excited. God speaks to them about the message. Say, I'm going to change. I'm going to allow this to happen. And what happens? By the time the afternoon comes through, they start losing a little. By the time Monday comes through, problem starts coming in. What happened on Sunday begins to move quickly away. Why? Because they didn't hold tightly to the word of God. That's why we can get excited in a worship service. That's why we can get excited in a podcast. But we got to meditate. We got to hold on to it. We got to allow the word of God to say, I'm not letting it go because it grows me. It's my sustenance. It's my hope. 
God's word will give you direction in times of confusion, comforts in times of pain, hope in times of despair, correction in times of rebellion. One thing that blows me away, if you look at Jesus in the Gospels, it's in his words, he has 1,800 words in the Gospels. 180 are a direct quotation from the Old Testament. That's 10% of everything that Jesus said was the word of God in the Old Testament word of God. And if you read, read his hour of temptation and trial, when he's going to the cross, he's dropping scripture all over the place. The reason Jesus made it through those trials is because the word of God in him was stronger, stronger than the trials and the temptations around him. That he learned how to hold tight to the word of God. And when you hold tight, God grows you. And the last thing Paul tells us to do is this, to work out with fear and trembling. This could be kind of confusing. What does it mean? But before we get into that, I want you to notice, and this is very important. He says, work out your own salvation. Notice, he says, we, sometimes we get focused on other people's mistakes, failures. How come they do this? How come they don't do that? How come they went there? And this is, this is what Paul says. Man, get your nose back where it needs to be. Quit being nosy. Quit looking around and work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. One of the problems in our culture right now is we get so frustrated and mad about what everybody else is doing and how everybody's reacting and why they did this and what they did. This. And I can't believe they like that. I can't believe it. And Paul says, okay, hey, you're so caught up in what they're doing, you forget why I'm working in you. How can I work in your life? J.B. Lightfoot, a Bible scholar, says this. He calls this fear and trembling a nervous trembling and an anxiety to do right. To fear God simply means to take God seriously. It's a combination of two concepts of the Old Testament. One means to dread and tremble. The other concept is to revere or to stand in awe. A couple weeks ago, I was driving back to Texas from Florida on vacation, and while I was driving, minding my own business, just chilling out, hanging out, there was a popo that pulled off right behind me there in Louisiana. And man, how many of you ever been that? You're just driving, you're like, oh, everything changes, right? 10 and 2, hit the brakes, what's the speed limit, make sure I'm good. And it's just something about when somebody's behind you, you like pucker up a little bit. You're like, oh, dude, I was going five over. Hope he doesn't get it. It's like five in your, fi five in your fine, nine in your mind. Hope I was up. I'm good. My foot came all off the accelerator. It's on the broke. I stared at the speedometer. Man, he, his presence greatly affected my driving for the next couple exits. And I was so relieved when he went off there to another exit and I kept on driving. And guess what happened? I went back to driving, back to normal. <laughs> five in your fine, nine in your mind. Okay, five minutes, five miles over, right? Should be good. To fear God means to live in light of his presence. To realize that he's with us everywhere. To fear God also means to stand in awe. The word fear and trembling, if you read the Old Testament, the Bible has this statement that they walked in fear and trembling with the Lord. But what does that mean? When the people of the Old Testament saw God working among them, they had this fear and trembling in their hearts. It's, this, it's a beautiful picture, Bible scholars say, that they're relying on God, they're devoting themselves to God's word, the power that it provides, and all of a sudden, they have this fear, they're taking God seriously, but they're in awe that God is moving in their lives. He's opening up the Red Sea. He's opening up the Jordan. He's causing the walls of Jericho to come down, and they're living a life, and they're like, wow! I can't believe that God is doing this and they're not see this is what Paul is saying this is don't, don't miss this 
Christianity is a front row seat to the creator of the universe working in your life. That's what it is. That the almighty God of the universe, his willing is your willing. His working is your working. His acting is your acting. Your giving is his giving. Your loving is his loving. And when it hits you, you're in awe. I'm like, wow, God. You realize that your hatred towards sin and your battle against sin is God's hatred towards sin in your own life. Your service to, the all, to others is the almighty God's service towards others. He's working in you. That God is that close to you. That he is that involved in you. That he is shaping you to be like him. That he's willing and he's working and he's moving. And you look back at your life and you're like, wow, God. You placed desires in my life and wow, you brought them to fruition. I remember when I was a young boy that God gave me a desire. I didn't have to preach the word. And I would study and I would learn and I would just spend, I know I'm ADD, but I would have hyper-focus when it came to the word of God. I would read for hours and pray and see God. And now, he'll allow me to preach. It's amazing. I remember being a 19-year-old boy and God saying, Benito, one day you're going to plant a church in a major city in America. It's going to be a multi-ethnic church. I said, okay, Lord, it's my desire. I remember praying for it, thinking about it. That was a, that's what I wanted to do. And do you realize that Freedom Church, it didn't even exist 12 years ago. Just a desire. Just a dream. Kind of multi-ethnic church. And I remember praying over the city. And I remember driving through the city. And he said, no, you know what the perfect place to plant a church would be? Like the hill, like you would drive the city, that hill, like the Marriott. Man, that'd be awesome to have a church in that area right there. And we started in the Marriott. Obviously, we couldn't stay here for a while. We had a desire for families to be restored, for people to know Jesus, for people to come to God. And what blows me away is now I look back and look what God has done in the same place he put that desire in that same area. God is moving. People are being saved. People are being restored. Then I stand in awe that God has been working in me. It's not me, but it's God. He wants to work in you. To do his will and good pleasure for your life. And when you realize that, you're blown away. Like, wow, God. My desires. The things inside of me, they're not mine. They're heavenly. That's why Psalms 37 says, delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Because those desires aren't for Ferraris and mansions, but they're for souls and missions and freedom centers and ministries that will make a difference and where Jesus will be glorified. I want everybody to bow your head and close your eyes. This is what I want you to do. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to make you aware of how God has already been working in your life. What are some desires that he wants you to develop? Maybe it's a desire to serve. Maybe it's a desire to pray and read your Bible. Maybe it's a desire to love others. But the God of this universe wants us to stand in awe of him. Say, God, how do you want to work in me? You want to remove a grumbling attitude. You want to move in my life however you want. 
I'm yours. I want everybody to bow your head and close your eyes and just ask him right now for the next 20 seconds. Lord, make your people aware of how you're working. And I pray that they would work out what you have worked into them this morning, Jesus. Right now, he, I believe that God's going to birth ministries to help the broken and the hurting, to help people learn English as a second language, to help kids in the foster care system, to help young ladies who are walking through the most difficult challenges of their life, and that we would walk in and love with them and care about them. I pray, just say this, Lord, fill me with your desires. Just raise your hand right there and say, God, fill me with your desires. Fill me with your desires, God. Fill me with your desires. He will. And now he's going to ask you, this, okay, I filled you with my desires. Now he says, develop it. Take a step. Do your part. Go in that fast. Start serving in that area. Go after the plan and the purpose of God. Thanks again for listening to the Freedom Church Podcast. We hope that you were inspired and motivated to continue to grow in your faith. Don't forget to subscribe and share with others.